And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful, very appreciated community partners all the way across the country. Uh, Stefan, I don't know if you uh, if you knew this, but uh, I spent about five hours uh, this week uh, making calls to other stations. Oh yeah, uh, and so we're uh, and many of them were were very interested sounding. So we may be adding, we may be saying you know thirty, forty, who knows? Soon, Ooh. I'm going to be spending some time doing that. So we're expanding our reach here, Green Majority. For those listeners that are listening this week, however, um, you can uh, look forward to in just a moment. We have an interview with Jim Harris, who's of course a sustainability author and speaker, but I would say most notably, fairly to, fair to say, most notably, the former leader of the Green Party from two. 2003 to 2006. Uh, also, um, Setup was responsible uh, largely for, for quite a large growth in the Green Party support, and then, of course, was handed off to uh, Elizabeth May, who's, uh, who's made her own um, market uh, impression on the political landscape here in Canada, but first of all, by being elected. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because, uh, and, and Jim talks about this, actually, um, very notably, routinely being um, voted one of the most liked, most effective, um, and all sorts of other accolades from her peers from all parties, um, uh, one of the most effective uh, politicians. Um, so Jim talks about that and a few other topics, but we do have it cut into two parts because uh, it, uh, it was over uh, what I normally try and target our, our interviews for. And in fact, I actually had to cut it down. So if you're looking for, if you enjoy what Jim has to say, uh, you can look on our YouTube channel. It's actually already posted, uh, the full version of the of the interview. But uh, what we'll be doing after that, the very last question I asked Jim Harris uh, was regarding uh, the political landscape in Canada uh, in 2015, uh, right now in March, sort of the, the very present political landscape that we are living in right now. And uh, one of the things I asked him to comment on was uh, BC, uh, Bill C-51, which has, of course, uh, been in the news quite a bit, the quote-unquote terror bill, which mm-hmm. has been very aptly, I think, uh, memed as the bill that promotes terror as mm. opposed to is it to prevent terror um but this is the very last question i asked him and then uh, power and politics actually had a very long discussion about this last night as well so kevin farmer's job last night was to watch that which is not much of an arm twist because he generally does that anyway <laughs> so we'll be talking to jim uh, just now we're going to go to that interview and then uh, later in the show we'll be talking about uh, bill c51 so without further ado this is part one of our interview with former green party of canada leader jim harris i start off by asking him to just talk a little bit about his political background and his experience. So in terms of uh, political history, Darren, I um, was studying politics at Queen's University, comparative politics. And in my final year, I did a project on the West German Greens. I read a book called Green Politics. And in that book was a single sentence uh, that read, uh, we're extinguishing species at the rate of one every 25 minutes. Now, we've always had species extinction in the evolution of the planet, but right now it's running at a thousand times greater than the historical background averages. And that one sentence shifted me that instant to becoming a green. Prior, I'd been a progressive conservative, um, the emphasis on the progressive part. So um, with a fiscal debt, you know, we can change monetary supply. The economists can tinker with interest rates. But no sleight of hand by an economist, no act of parliament can bring back an extinct species. So I first and foremost became an ecological conservative and then a fiscal one. And one of the things that surprise uh, people in uh, Canada is that the Greens attract more votes Uh, from the right than they do from the left. If you put the liberals in the dead center, we we take uh, more, we pull votes from across the entire spectrum. 
And in fact, the largest block relative to other parties that we pull from are people who are disillusioned with every other party. So we truly do pull from across the spectrum. So once I became a Green, that became my lifelong political orientation. And uh, when I came back, I traveled around the world for four years. When I came back to Canada, I got involved in organizing the Greens in the uh, uh, provincial election in 1990, where we ran uh, 11 times more uh, candidates than we ever had before. And we did exceptionally well. We did the best we'd ever done. And I learned that by running a candidate in every riding, we didn't come close then, uh, you receive a bump. And so my vision was to run a candidate in every riding. And in 2003, I was elected the leader of the Green Party of Canada, and we did that. We ran a candidate in every riding in the 2004 election, and we won more votes in that election than our 21-year history combined. We gave every single Canadian the right to vote green, the right to vote for a positive future for their grandchildren. It was very powerful. We also uh, raised more money than the party had in its 21-year history. Um, and uh, it was a very exciting time. Uh, I led the, the party on to 2006, where once again we ran in every single riding. And, and this is no mean feat because uh, the Reform Party was never able to do it. The Canadian Alliance was never able to do it. The Bloc was never interested in doing it. Um, so we achieved what only uh, four parties in the history of Canada had done, uh, run in that many ridings. So it was a truly impressive accomplishment. Um, and of course, I'm very proud that my successor, Elizabeth May, is in Parliament and has been recognized as the best MP, the hardest working MP, the best orator by many different uh, rankings, the Hill Times, Maclean's Magazine, voted on by her peers. So we Greens uh, really are making a big contribution to politics in Canada. Jim, you talked about getting votes from all parties across the spectrum and, and potentially the lion's share are actually from the Conservatives. How many people do you think don't vote for the Greens simply because they don't think they can form a government? Or rather, the other way around, how many people would vote for you if they thought you could form a government? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, the, the current system we have is called first past the post. And it doesn't encourage you to vote for who you believe in. What it does is it encourages you to identify the, the party or the leader or the candidate that you most despise and then try and figure out who has the best chance of beating them. And so you, you don't vote for what you believe in. You vote against what you despise or fear. And uh, this is called strategic voting. Uh, but when you vote for a lesser evil to avoid a greater evil, you end up with a lesser evil. <laughs> so so uh, if we want to create the kind of world we want, we have to vote for what we believe in. And what is happening is as the Green Party's vote rises, we see other parties are forced to begin to steal our policies. So in fact, if you believe in a future that's green, voting green will force every other party to green itself. Now, 
Uh, the Greens are competitive. We've elected Elizabeth. Uh, Bruce Heyer is a member. We missed winning another seat in Victoria in the by-election by a mere 1,000 votes. We've elected Andrew Weaver in British Columbia. We've uh, elected our first MLA in New Brunswick. So all across the country, Greens are being elected. We have numerous mayors elected all across the country. And as for the issue of a, a protest vote, um, you know, at, before we phased out coal here in Toronto, uh, one in every five children was developing asthma before they became an adult. And as a parent, there can be nothing worse than watching your child unable to breathe. Uh, and you have to rush them to the emergency room because you're fearful they're going to die. When you decide to vote green, is that a protest vote? Or is that a vote for the future of your child? Is that a vote for having proper electricity planning uh, in Ontario? Isn't it a vote for clean air? Shouldn't it be a right that every Canadian has the right to breathe clean air? I'm very proud that I was the first politician in Canada to call for uh, embedding the right to clean air and clean water in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That should be a right of every Canadian. Talk to me about translating your morals into business advice. How is it for someone to come from a position of feeling uh, empathy and, and a need to do this out of a, a moral basis um, and then being forced to sort of translate this for a CEO? So a long time ago, I read a book called uh, Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And in that book, Saul talks about there are two kinds of radicals. One is an effective radical and one's an ineffective one. This is just Saul's point of view. And he said the ineffective one has long hair and wears Birkenstocks and has a beard, um, but is a purist in terms of his ideas. But nobody listens to him because they reject the packaging. Okay? The effective radical cuts their hair short, hair short wears a suit, and shiny shoes and uh, is shaved and people listen to, him, listen to him because they accept the packaging but the ideas are radical. He said it's that last category that's an effective radical. Um, another book that's had a very profound impact on me in my life is uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in it Dale says, you know, I like strawberries but for some strange reason fish prefer worms. So when I go fishing, I use worms. And so I care about the, the fate of the earth. I care about our future. I care about the environment. But what a CEO cares about is the bottom line. So when I talk to CEOs, I talk about how sustainability can cut costs, raise revenue, and mitigate risk. It can also engage uh, employees and increase your market share. That's the language of the CEO. So I don't talk about the moral language. I talk about the outcomes from a business perspective. And that's how, in my opinion, we gain more traction. Uh, there's a little story that I love about Toronto. And um, I've been campaigning for environmental issues for a very long time. And I wanted to see the reduction of the billions of plastic bags 
that uh, result uh, get into landfill every year because we ha- have plastic bags and shopping. And the average family goes shopping more than one uh, time a week for food, right? And they get these plastic bags. So early on, I had a cloth bag company back in the 1990s. It was a bit ahead of its time. But, um, you know, we used at the time moral suasion to try and get people to change and buy a, a, a bag. And so at the time, bags were about $3 a piece. So, you know, we say for the sake of your children and the planet, buy a bag, you know, and very few people did. It was a very small percentage. And we have to look at why. Well, I'd buy the bag for $3, and every time I took it to the supermarket, I'd save them double bagging because you'd put all the heaviest stuff in your cloth bag, and you might take some... Uh, Uh, plastic bags if you had more stuff than you needed, right? So I'm saving them two plastic bags every time. At three cents a piece, I'm saving them six cents a week. At 50 weeks, I'm saving them three dollars. I'm paying three dollars for the honor and privilege of increasing the profit of that supermarket by three dollars. And then we morally exhort people to do this and wonder why more don't. Because the financial incentive is to punish the people for doing the right thing. The people who do the wrong thing are rewarded because there's no cost. Now, the city of Toronto passed a bylaw that says when you go shopping, if you take plastic bags, you have to pay five cents a piece. Well, do you know in 30 days, plastic bag use fell 70% in Toronto? 70%? That's staggering. So why? First off, millions of people bought cloth bags all in that period, okay? So instead of $3 a cloth bag, it fell to $1 a cloth bag. And people would then say, well, for a buck, I saved two bags at five cents. That's 10 cents a week. It's just 10 weeks I've earned back my $1 for this cloth bag. I'll buy four of them, okay? So look at this, a tiny, tiny little change in economic behavior, okay? So an economic cost of five cents, like people buy hundreds of dollars of groceries a week, okay? And five cents for a plastic bag. I mean, I saw people going out to their cars juggling seven items with eggs on top, you know, because they didn't want to pay the five cents. That group has nothing to do with the environment. It's an economic argument. So when we as environmentalists can align the economic interests, so people are rewarded now for doing the right thing, as opposed to being punished, the system changes very quickly. And minor changes of a five cents car, a five cent charge on a plastic bag, tips the whole system over. So let's look at this. 30 years of campaigning using moral arguments got us to 7% plastic bag use. 30 years to hit 7%. Or a minor, minor economic change got us to 70% in 30 days. Which should we do? <laughs> which is more effective. So those economic arguments, while we, those aren't the arguments that really motivate us because we're motivated to protect the future, to protect future generations, for the vast majority of people who are so focused on the day-to-day of their lives that these arguments aren't, uh, don't enter into their lives as much as they do for us, the economic drivers are more powerful. And so when we focus on those, when we change those economic drivers, we can see 70% shifts in 30 days, where we've been working 30 years to get just... We hear a lot of... 
All right. And that was part one of our interview with Jim Harris, author and sustainability speaker, as well as former leader of the Green Party of Canada from 2003 to 2006. We're going to go to a short music break and then come back and listen to part two of that interview before speaking in the final segment about Bill C-51. But first, Stefan has a special announcement. Stefan. Yes, I feel like a special announcement. I should go some weird voice for this, but I'm just not going to because I'm not very good at voices. Uh, we'll be broadcasting live from the Green Living Show on March 27th. Uh, there you go. I tried it. Uh, that was your Troy McClure voice. It was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might remember from such other broadcasts live as the Green Living Show on March 27th. And really, really that's it. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're broadcasting live from the Green Living Show on March 27th. If you haven't, if that hasn't already been abundantly clear, uh, we, we actually are also giving away tickets to this Green Living Show. Uh, the first uh, first batch are now are, are in my hands as we speak. Literally, uh, yeah. literally in my hands. I'm bringing them right now, which is why I know the date because uh, <laughs> I'm reading it off these tickets. Uh, so w- what's actually happening is we will be there. Um, and we'll be there actually the whole oh, the whole day. Uh, but th- for this one hour, we will actually be broadcasting. Uh, and the way to get these tickets is to go to our Contact Us page on the website and email us, and we will let you know how to pick them up. There are two tickets right now available. There will be more uh, available in the future. But go if you're, if you're in your car, pull over and send us an email. If you're not in your car, uh, you know, go. You, you have an advantage. You have an advantage. You should, all, <laughs> you should win, really. If you're not in your car, you should win. That's the key. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there you go. March twenty seventh. Thank you so much, Stefan. So yes, as you as he was saying, uh, go to greenmajority.ca and the the very first person right now that uh, that says uh, co- goes to greenmajority.ca, clicks on contact, and emails us saying, "I want the Green Living Show tickets." It's uh, two tickets. Uh, the show is in Toronto, and you will have to come to the uh, to CIUT studio to pick them up. So you need to be able to do that if you want the tickets. Uh, but uh, go forth uh, with that. We'll go to our first music break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Green Majority here at CIUT.
And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. And, uh, Stefan, we have a winner. Yes, Paul Collingwood. Thanks, Paul. Nice to know you're listening. Uh, we'll be emailing you back later today when we're not on the air with uh, how you can pick up those tickets. Uh, we're going to be giving away another pair at the next music break as well, so stay tuned for that. Uh, however, without further ado, we want to move on to part two of our interview with Jim Harris, for, uh, a sustainability author and speaker, as well as uh, former leader of the Green Party from 2003 to 2006. Uh, by way of introducing this clip, Kevin, the next question that I asked Jim was actually sort of on your behalf because you were not able to join me for this interview, but I asked it with you in mind, so hopefully I... I I captured the spirit of, of something I know you've mentioned before. Uh, so without further ado, we, are, we will now go to part two of our interview with Jim Harris. A, a good answer. Um, business uh, requires a certain set of skills. And in, in business, uh, you can tell people in a company to do certain things, and if they don't, they're going to be fired. And um, that's a motivational tool that doesn't exist to the same extent in politics. Uh, in politics, really, we work with volunteers, right? The majority of election campaigns are, are volunteers, and the members of your party are there voluntarily. They, they want to sign up. And that's something I'm particularly proud of in my record in the Green Party. When I became leader in uh, 2003, there were seven to 800 members of the party. And when I stepped down at the end of 06, there were 10,000 members. So that was a, uh, a huge growth in the party, um, staggering growth. Sorry about that, folks. We had a, a minor technical error there, and I, I wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't uh, submit you to several minutes of an answer to a question you didn't hear. So apologies for a brief technical uh, error there. Uh, that was actually my fault because I uh, told Neil we were going to do one thing, and then uh, and then I cued something entirely different. So uh, as soon as uh, Neil, as soon as you're ready, just let me know, and we'll we'll restart. So uh, are we good? Okay. Sorry about that, folks. And we'll hear restart with uh, with the question to the answer that that Jim was answering. Take it away. We hear a lot about elected politicians talking about their business acumen and, and their accomplishments of being a successful business person. Uh, but is success in business really the same skill set that's needed for a politician that serves people? It's, it's a fascinating question, and I don't know if I have a, a good answer. Um, business uh, requires a certain set of skills. And in, in business... Uh, you can tell people in a company to do certain things, and if they don't, they're going to be fired. And um, that's a motivational tool that doesn't exist to the same extent in politics. Uh, in politics, really, we work with volunteers, right? The majority of election campaigns are, are volunteers, and the members of your party are there voluntarily. They, they want to sign up. And that's something I'm particularly proud of in my record in the Green Party. When I became leader in uh, 2003, there were seven to 800 members of the party. And when I stepped down at the end of 06, there were 10,000 members. So that was a, uh, a huge growth in the party, um, staggering growth. Um, 
And similarly, there was a, a growth in the number of Canadians considering voting green. It, it shot up to about 35% under my leadership. So one in every three Canadians told pollsters, they, now that's not saying they're going to vote green, but they're considering it. It's like if you go to a, a restaurant um, and something isn't on the menu, you can't order it. So greens all of a sudden became on, uh, got onto the menu for Canadians as a political choice. But that is about attraction. That's about engagement. And I'm very proud the Green Party was the first party, as far as I can determine anywhere in the world, to use a wiki to create our electoral platform in uh, 2004. We literally allowed 60,000 people to come into the party and tell us what our platform should be. Now, in most political parties, it's a top-down process where a couple strategists in the back room figure out some wedge issues and they give talking points to every uh, MP or candidate who's running for the party. And literally, they're like trained SEALs. And in the House of Commons, it's the same thing. They can't represent the interests of their constituents. They're really representing the interests of their party. So our notion of democracy is you're elected from a district, a riding, to represent the interests of that riding in the government. But in truth, it's the opposite with the old line political parties. But the Greens are working to pioneer a new form of involvement and inclusiveness. And using this wiki was a fantastic way of involving those people. So the notion of leadership that at least we as Greens used was antithetical to the notion that most business leaders use. Now, I don't feel it has to be that way uh, in business. Businesses that are highly successful often will use some of these principles, but it's not the norm in business. So I think the real role is, of leadership is being willing to figure out the system or being able to figure out the system and structure that will most advance the interests of Canadians and, uh, and use, break this old line, you know, hyper-partisan uh, form of politics that we have now to really get at better policy for Canadians. And uh, the wiki was a really exciting way of doing that. In fact, it was so funny that, you know, the NDP who feared the rise of the Green Party, we saw on numerous chat boards, they'd say, go into the Green Party's thing and vote to twist their policy. And so they were encouraging their members to read our policy. And then they'd get in there and they'd read it and they'd go, oh, this is kind of good. <laughs> So the NDP was helping to undermine the, the, uh, <laughs> the partisanship of their members by sending them over to read our policy documents. So um, it didn't really work because in that election, we won more votes than our 21-year history combined, right? So uh, boom, their, uh, their strategy of working to undermine uh, the party really didn't work. Finally, Jim, I want to just ask you about the current political landscape. Recently, we've uh, had a, a number of really important changes in the Canadian politics with regards to the environment, Bill C-51. Uh, we've had uh, the incidents in Burnaby Mountain, uh, conflict over pipelines, Line 9. Uh, the list goes on. It seems to me that at a local level, environment is becoming higher and higher profile, especially around climate change. But at a federal level, we seem to be moving backwards. Well, um, we'll start with Bill uh, C-51. Uh, 
it's interesting to contrast situations we as Canadians have faced. So on the west coast of Canada, 1,100 Aboriginal women have gone missing or have been murdered. And Mr. Harper deems that insufficient reason to even call an inquiry into the situation. And yet we have one lone gunman who appears and instantly he wants to bring in uh, the most sweeping uh, changes to uh, secret police powers uh, ever. Mr. Harper is opportunistic in his legislative agenda, working to use this situation to justify stripping away Canadian rights and freedoms and allowing greater surveillance on Canadians than has ever existed before. And the legislation is sufficiently vague to allow for the monitoring of uh, people who are engaged in legitimate democratic process. So it is completely unacceptable. And yet Mr. Harper, very Machiavellian in my opinion, will use whatever to justify his actions. So that's the first thing to talk about. Another thing that I look at is, uh, I don't know if you read your Charles Dickens, but uh, Dickens said, we live in the best of times, we live in the worst of times. And that is something I believe to be true today. We live in the absolute best of times because the tools we have today are so powerful to enable grassroots democratic organization like we have never had before. Things like Twitter. And if your listeners want to follow me, I'm at Jim Harris on Twitter. Um, and on Facebook, I'm capped at the limits. I've kept mine as a personal page, but people can follow me. It's um, Jim, ha I think it's Jim Harris profile or something like that on, on Facebook. Um, these tools are very powerful in enabling uh, us to get the message out when we're seeing a contraction of budgets for mainstream media. So it's, I'm, I came from a newspaper background, so it's terrible for me to actually have to say that, but the revenue for newspapers has fallen by two-thirds since 2000 in North America. And so we're seeing uh, less investigative journalism, more news uh, wire stories in, in print, and that means that the uh, social media is where the real action is. And I get my news from my friends on Facebook and from the people I follow on Twitter more so than from the mainstream media because the stories are of greater interest to me, like on climate change. Uh, the, the mainstream media doesn't actually uh, report properly on the topics I'm most concerned about. So that is a downside because it's the, it, it's, uh, they have the largest voice. The upside is we now have our own voice and it is very powerful. And we've seen, for instance, the protests in BC uh, uh, stall uh, pipelines. We've seen in the US the, uh, you know, Bill McKibben's 350 org uh, consistently hamper the Keystone XL pipeline. This is a function of the power we have by using these new tools. And so uh, I commend all the listeners 
to engage, especially in elections, uh, using social media to get the message out that, uh, that you're passionate about. All right. And so that was part two of our interview with uh, Jim Harris, author and speaker on sustainability, as well as a former leader of the Green Party of Canada. Uh, we're going to go to our second and final music break in just a minute. But I wanted to uh, to just to maybe have a comment about his comments at that last section uh, at the very beginning there. He talked about a few things. Um, uh, one of the things I thought that Jim really nailed there was that he immediately went to the comparison of the uh, missing and murdered Aboriginal women and about um, the 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 insulting uh, and in my opinion I'm going to say racist um, neglect and indifference um, to the issue of uh, murdered and, and missing Aboriginal women uh, and then as he correctly pointed out sort of you know the the absolute gigantic hammer uh, that comes down. Uh, over uh, some of these other threats, both an overreaction, uh, in my opinion, my personal opinion, um, to the legitimate terrorism threat, and then also the seemingly, I'm going to use this opportunity to also silence dissent on a wide variety of other issues, most of them related to environmentalist and climate change, while at the same point. So there's a whole bunch there to uh, unpack, and we're we're going to spend more time talking about Bill C-51 after the music break. But quickly, just I wanted to go to to Stefan and and Kevin, maybe in that order, uh, just to comment on that point. Uh, I just want to know how Bill C-51 is going to protect me from man caves, actually. That's my (laughs) main concern, uh, is that if anyone is building a man cave near me, I want the I want CSIS to be on it, mm. and I want them to let me know, and then I want them to invite me for some for a party. That's, that's right. I care. Yeah, uh, no, that, that's that's that was really just me going into this. What I find so funny, of course, is that it, it, how how scared were people for like a week about the tunnel that was built uh, that that happened to show up near York University uh, near the Pan Am Games, and it was quite literally billed as a possible terror threat for at least the first couple days it was reported, mm. and then it slowly got less and less scary until the ending was, yeah, these two dudes just built it. It's not actually necessarily even illegal that they, what they did. They just wanted a man cave. Yeah. And I was like, how easy is it to whip something up into absolute terror so quickly? Yeah. Actually, it was uh, 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 Chris Stevens, actually, today on, on Facebook posted something about uh, – it was a, just a funny cartoon with two frames, and one of them was a guy watching TV, and uh, on the TV was a, was a cartoon news anchor going, how should we deal with this uh, – uh, everyone's terrified about terror, and the next frame is just him turning the TV off, <laughs> which I think was perfect. Uh, Kevin, I'm sure you have something to say. Well, uh, yeah, the uh – the reference to um, the 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 stunning difference in responses to a crisis of of missing and murdered women, um, and essentially, I mean, the 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 RCMP is going to release, I gather, a one minute uh, selfie from Zehaf Bibo that it, it appears he his manifesto, I guess, that we've been waiting for that he made en route um, to to carry out this act in, on Parliament Hill. Uh, so you know, t- t- to this point, we we don't we don't have anything to characterize his behavior, uh, except except this this assurance that this is a terrorist act. All right, fine. But uh, you know, so we've got like like Jim said, this sweeping and overreaching response to to this one act and and a crisis and and something something that flies under the radar in this discussion a lot of the times is when we when we talk about these missing and murdered women, missing is just a little too benign for me. Um, missing can mean a lot of things. It can mean dead. Uh, like how many of Picton's victims were missing before they were found, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's in that slaughterhouse that was his farm. Like those, those were, until we knew they were murdered, 
they were missing, right? That's a very benign term, but also they're they're being trafficked uh, as as sex slaves, and this is not this is information that's not hard to find. There is a there is a a thriving uh, trade uh, uh, tra- of trafficking women for sex in Canada, and a lot of these women <clears throat> are Aboriginal women, and if that you know if that isn't a crisis, you know what what is right and and. And and yeah, the, you know, just just to add something that doesn't often come up in that particular discussion is uh, missing can mean some pretty horrible things, and 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 uh, you know, you just you just need to take that into account when we're sort of tossed, that term has become banal now. It's 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 its own hashtag, and uh, you know, as it's, it's things get repeated and sort of they lose their meaning and repetition, uh, that that's that's some pretty horrific realities that we're ignoring. Well, we keep hammering this this fear button uh, um, for terrorism that is defined however it suits them. You know, the the, the shootings of the Mounties out on the, Justin Bork, Bork. You know, he he was targeting police officers. That's not terrorism. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's the definition of the day. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna take a brief pause there. We are gonna come back and, and spend a little bit more time on C fifty one after the music break. I also have a clip uh, that was uh, brought to us by Nikki Young, who's currently on the West Coast, who's a friend of the show, uh, who recorded a very brief, like two minutes, literally, uh, interview with somebody at a C fifty one protest uh, out in BC. So we're gonna listen to that. Uh, the audio is not great, but it's definitely listenable, and I think it's worth listening to. We're gonna do that after the music break. But first, also, Stefan, if you want to reannounce, we're gonna do another round of tickets as well. Well, if you want to remind people if they're just tuning in now what we're doing. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, we have two more tickets uh, to the Green Living Show again on uh, March 27th to 29th. We, the tickets go for the whole the whole weekend. Uh, we'll be there on the 27th at the very least, if not the whole weekend as well. Uh, and again, go to the contact us page on greenmajor.ca to get them. Uh, send, us, send us a note being like, I want these tickets. Say something else while you're at it if you like. Click around. Who knows? Have some fun out there. Yeah, our, our climate cartoon is up on the website, actually. I, I embedded onto the webpage there. So have a look around while you're at it. But the first thing to do is send us a message exactly. uh, to get those two tickets. Uh, also, before we go to our music break, uh, part of the reason we had a technical disturbance before was that I completely screwed up, Neil, and, and did something different than what I said I was going to do. So to make up for it, Neil, would you please tell us what the last music break was and what we are now going to be listening to? Yeah, thanks, Darren. Uh, the first music break was uh, Tanya Sigak, and the song was called Animism who has also been a huge advocate for the, um, the cause of missing and murdered Ab- Aboriginal women in, in Canada. And the song, next song that I'm going to play is um, Chet Faker. The song's in 1998. And Tanya Tagak is actu- actually playing um, in Toronto tonight. Awesome. Thanks so much, Neil. And we'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. By the way, we used to be friends.
right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. I also want to thank, um, we have some new stations that have been, uh, uh, that are in the pipeline as far as getting added to our roster. Uh, if you happen to be hearing this on the podcast or maybe off the website and your local radio station is a community station um, and you're not hearing it locally, then uh, reach out to us and let me know and I will, I will help you pester them to get it on their radio station. But So stay tuned for a number of announcements of new syndicates coming up soon. Last thing before we go to Kevin, who's going to start in on uh, some more C51 stuff, starting with uh, Power and Politics episode from last night. As uh, Stefan, we have another winner. Yes, uh, this is Steve, and he sent us a little smiley face on the ticket thing. Uh, so smiley face right back at you. Yeah, awesome. So uh, Steve and Paul, I believe, was the first one, yes. right? Yeah, we'll be in contact with you after the show to let you know how you can pick up those tickets, and we'll be giving away more uh, every week leading up to the show mm-hmm. uh, when we're, we will be broadcasting live. So uh, without further ado, however, Kevin, the mic is yours. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, so, well, um, I think I'm, you know, actually, okay, so Power and Politics uh, devoted a significant portion of their show to uh, an analysis of Bill C-51 last night. Uh, you can, I, I just recommend people go and watch this. It's too much, really, to summarize. Uh, they, they stream their, you can, you can stream their show from the internet. Uh, I, w- I would also point people to a website that has been uh, uh, sort of hastily uh, no, I shouldn't say hastily. <laughs> a very reasoned discussion about this law has been put up very quickly. <laughs> uh, the website has appeared very quickly, but the discussion is not hasty. Uh, called antiterrorlaw.ca. Uh, two professors, uh, Ken Forsees or Forsees, and uh, uh, no, sorry, I'm going to get their names wrong. It's uh, uh, I've already got their names wrong. <laughs> I'll, I'll fact check it while you're while you're going. But it is, the website is antiterrorlaw.ca. Uh, and uh, it's 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 worth reading. Um, I think I'm a little less worried about this bill, having you know spent some time learning about it. Uh, in fact, you know, I mean, we I think we I think we know that hasty reactionary public policy uh, is the best public policy, mm. and and I think we know that you know a highly charged emotional climate is just the best decision making climate. Uh, yeah, that's why you always hit the send button when you're angry. You know, it, it's a fact. It's been proven. Yeah, every email crafted in anger. Do not think about that. Just hit the send button. So, I only send my emails at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I actually save all of them to craft them then and send them throughout the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, what was I going to say about this? Um, Somebody, somebody, jump in here! I've totally lost my train of thought here. I was just going to add how uh, how distracting uh, Stefan's sense of humor is. <laughs> well, at uh, least he's not dancing. That always that always does me in. Um, so, but the uh, the thing uh, that I wanted to jump in with on that point was that so we we one of the things you know we've been talking about a lot at, and uh, and at CSI a lot of the there's some uh, the Center for Social Innovation just sorry for context mm-hmm. where where Stefan and mine's offices and and both Stefan and I also work uh, in different capacities. Uh, there's been internal discussions on the internal in, uh, intranet there mm-hmm. about this. Um, so we know a lot of people who are who are talking about this and a lot of the environment groups are obviously talking about this uh, despite the fact the only poll that I have seen so far there may have been new ones that I'm not aware of uh, feel free to send them to us if I'm if there's something some new information on this uh, but the last number I saw as far as the overall approval rate of this new law was 82 percent oh it's huge the the public support for this is overwhelming but it goes without saying uh, that most people haven't read the bill. Mm. And uh, what, what stuns me about this completely is that uh, you know, we just haven't learned any lessons from watching how this exact scenario has played out politically in the States, um, where you, 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 we've just, we just haven't learned any of the lessons. The, 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 um, 
You know, we've seen we've seen how you know uh, the 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 whole American society. It seems the entire journal jur- uh, uh, community of journalists <clears throat> was essentially cowed into not asking critical questions, notably about the the invasion of Iraq, because they were being they were just being afraid of appearing a soft on terror, b uh, anti patriot, you know, not patriotic, which is crazy. You know, but this is the—I mean, this is this is what the climate of fear does for you. It just stops. It just it throws out critical thought, and it uh, it breeds conformity. And crucial questions were not asked. And I mean, you know, maybe as many as a million Iraqi civilians died as a result of that. What do you say about that? And how do you suppose no one got in that country got radicalized uh, by by the bombs that you know destroyed their country, obliterated their families? ruined their infrastructure. There's, you know, maybe a million or so refugees uh, from that country. That country has been just just uh, decimated by these decisions that were made in this climate of fear. And I mean, that's that was, in, you know, we can't even go into that. I'll, I'll never shut up about that war. <laughs> but, you know, the New York Times published an apology saying, you know, look, we we towed the line. We, we, we screwed up. We didn't ask questions. We didn't hold people to account. Um, the surveillance state in the in the states is off the hook. I would say out of control, and they don't have any evidence to date that this is effective for its stated purpose of preventing attacks. Even nine eleven doesn't appear to have been an actual intelligence failure. It was a failure of execution. Uh, what they do have, though, is just you know um, uh, all kinds of evidence of abuses of this system, and uh, there's also you know the sort of the the other consequences. That uh, you know, a surveillance state it breeds conformity. It 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 it, it causes people to self censor. This is <laughs> it squelches public debate, and this is why dictators love surveillance states. They work precisely for this reason. So so you know we don't. And what we do have, it, what we do have, is evidence that what does prevent crime is community engagement. Mm. Um, and it's the surveillance state and the police state, and in fact, the demonizing, the stigmatizing, the pathologizing of, of targeted communities, in this case, Muslims. Uh, it's, it's that kind of atmosphere that, that breaks down trust between government, police, and communities. And so that, 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 that breaks down the community engagement that is proven to solve, to prevent crimes. Uh, even the Toronto 18. Uh, and, and, you know, double check the details on this because I'm a little hazy, but they were approached, the, the police were approached by a, a, a member of the uh, 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 Muslim community who wanted to help them, uh, uh, to, who wanted to contribute to, to um, uh, 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 combating radicalization. And so that was how they infiltrated this group, which they wouldn't have been able to do on their own. You know, like you couldn't, you just couldn't get... Uh, you know, two white guys from from <laughs> uh, to to infiltrate this community, and and if you're you know, so just even there, like you know, just that one example, which is which is probably more uh, harder to parse than some of the other ones. It's a little more nuanced in the history of it, but even there, you know, it was it was it was being able to to uh, reach out to that community, or in this case, someone from the community reaching out to them. But even there, you know, the most successful things like have are. are you know, community engagement, and that's precisely the thing you're breaking down. Or one of the one of the one of the the uh, the victims of this kind of this kind of policy is distrust between the state, the police, and and communities. It's just it just un it just it's like perverse. 
So this will be a good place to, to cut in. First of all, I want to uh, – uh, the, the website Kevin was mentioning there was antiterrorlaw.ca. The uh, lawyers involved is Craig Forsese. And uh, Ken Roach, yeah. He's uh, faculty of Law, yeah. University of Ottawa, and Ken Roach, yes, Faculty yeah. of Law, University of Toronto. You can check that out at antiterrorlaw.ca, uh, which we will also post on the website. Uh, also, the benefit of using the Contact Us forum, as well as that a friend of the show, I won't out his name on the air, but uh, also just wrote in live to, uh, live to air to – uh, just as we were saying, the 82% statistic uh, to remind us of that very same fact. Uh, also to point out that it was uh, done from a poll of 1,509 people, um, which uh, this person was expressing some skepticism that this poll may have been executed in uh, in uh, fairness, uh, let's say. So just to, you know, it is a single poll with only 1,500 people uh, and, that, uh, and that it might be too much to say that this is definitive of this support, uh, I think is maybe the most appropriate way to put that. Uh, I, well, this will probably be good chance to use a segue so what we're going to do now uh, again the friend of the show nikki young uh was at an action against c51 uh, uh i believe this was in Van- vancouver I'll, I'll, i apologize i'll have to get back to you about that uh, i'm i'm quite certain this was done in vancouver uh but the clip itself is a, is a short interview it's it's less than three minutes and I actually cut down part of it because part of it wasn't relevant to the show today um because it was out of date. Uh, the interview itself was with Charles Boylan, who uh, was at this anti-C51 uh, action uh, in Vancouver. Uh, we're going to play that clip now. It's only about two minutes, and we'll come back and comment on his comments. We're here to protest Bill C-51. It's a very serious attack on the rights of all Canadians, and uh, it's specifically singled out to attack Canadians who are desirous of change. It's, it's, is it is meant to intimidate and bully everyone from not taking a stand against this government's policy of turning Canada into a petrostate and turning and, and lacing the country with these god-awful pipelines carrying uh, uh, bitumen, which is uh, just deadly stuff. And uh, this is not a way to build an economy. And who decided this anyhow? The banks and the billionaires and the oil monopolies, they decided that. They're a small clique. They don't represent the Canadian people. Let the Canadians decide what we want to do with our oil. Anyhow, that's my key point is empower the people. Democratic renewal. The people must decide their fate. Chill effect is intimidation. It's to cower the people. And we, and that's why I like the youth. I mean, they went out on the street today. It wasn't an art program to go out on the street. But, hey, they wanted to go out on the street, and they did. They exercised their rights. And uh, good on them. The youth are indomitable, as far as I'm concerned. It's the young people that are going to remake this world, man. And they're going to remake it according to the way they want to be living in a society. The question about Islamophobia is a very important question you raise because one of the ongoing characteristics of the Canadian state, which is racist to the core, and I want to underline that, the Canadian state, was conceived as a racist state. It was a British colonial state whose objective was to steal the land of the indigenous nations. One of the ways in which the Canadian state operates is this. When a new group of immigrants come to Canada, they beat the Jesus out of them. They intimidate them. They don't want them to participate in politics. They want them to have their heads down and to be willing wage slaves. And, of course, this is the fate of all Canadians who work for a living, really, because no section of the Canadian people have any say in determining the direction of the economy, in determining what kind of constitutional relations we should have in Canada between Indigenous and non-Indigenous, or whether Quebec should be an independent country or not. 
In other words, Canadians are kept out of politics. The timeline to take an active stand against Bill C-51 is very short because Harper is violating all the parliamentary traditions, all the parliamentary norms to rush this bill through the House of Commons. All right, so that was a clip again from uh, Charles Boylan uh, taken uh, in video, actually, and I just pulled the audio uh, done by a friend of the show, Nikki Young. Uh, Charles Boylan, I found out uh, after, later on, actually, uh, when I inquired, is the chair of the Human Rights and International Solidarity Committee of Federation of Post-Secondary Educators, Local 21, uh, as well as a candidate for the Marxist-Leninist Party of Canada in Vancouver South. Um, Stefan, do you, uh, I mean, he was pretty much echoing all the same thoughts that, mm -hmm. we, that we had here, but uh, what did you think of his take on it? I'm always interested because I'm, uh, I'm someone who usually tries to, you know, I, I, I do my best to sort of walk what I understand as a relatively middle road. Uh, and then sometimes someone just says something where you're like, I agree with you. Uh, like, he's, nothing, nothing he said was wrong. Uh, and he just sort of said it in a way which I might not word it, but it does that. If anything, that is like more power to him, more power to him to call it exactly to call it exactly as he sees it, rather than trying to couch it in language that the rest of Canada might accept. Uh, you know, maybe th that I think the tone is is what is what makes that is makes that uh, very interesting because you know he's he's right about everything. The more power you get, you consolidate at the top, uh, the more power you're basically consolidating power into what rich uh you know rich white men that's that's who currently has like and so like the, the, the less the, the any kind of consolidation of power base is inherently you know going to cause uh is is going to cause those kind of problems uh it, it's you know we've highlighted it multiple times already with the, the problem with missing and in, in, in murdered indigenous women uh you can go through you can go extend that to sort of the push push back against wearing a a, a, a hijab in during uh during swearing your you know to the oath to the queen which i i'm part that's of that another Canadian, show <laughs> <laughs> the fact that there's an oath to the queen is still kind of ridiculous to me um so, but all of these sort of things any and anytime you sort of any, any consolidation of power will will create this exact kind of problem uh and so like i think that's something you need to hear i think that's something we need to be repeating uh, more and more is just yeah like any like this is a problem canada's always had uh and if we don't actually acknowledge it as a problem and then start working from that position uh it's going to be a lot, we're not going to solve the problem all right yeah and i think one of the the quick thing i wanted to say about that too was that i mean i think uh, some people you know uh, the, the you know we talk sometimes about how the green party is not about to form a government uh i think extraordinarily they're more likely than the marxist leninist party of canada um but w so often you know people's uh, affiliations or opinions or regardless whether this be religious cultural political organizations are frequently used to disenchant uh, disenfranchise people's voices uh and so the only thing i had to say about that was you know when you're right when, when you're right you're right and uh and i think he made a very good comment i think uh, as as you said i i think he was correct across the board in his comment there um and i think the really sad state is that a lot of people will dismiss his comments um because they uh you know aren't in favor of the political party that he works for and i just think that's uh, it's an insult to our both intelligence and our democracy uh, to to silence anyone's voice uh in canada we literally have 60 seconds left and i'm going to give it to you kevin for the final word well yeah he did touch on something uh, that I was getting at, which is that you don't actually have to put people in jail for this law to be effective in just silencing people. You intimidate them and you cause them to self-censor. And this is a well-known consequence of, of this kind of overreaching, overbroad legislation and the, the fear that you're being targeted and put in a, in a, uh, under surveillance. Uh, and, you know, it's a little off topic, 
but maybe not so much. But this, I think her name is Zunira Ishak. Uh, I wasn't expecting this to come up today, but this, the, the, the woman who was not allowed to wear her niqab during the, the citizenship oath. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the terrorists hate us for our freedoms, <laughs> right? So like the freedom for women to choose how they dress. So, so let me get this. So, so wait a minute. Are, if we also start telling women how to dress, doesn't that mean the terrorists are winning? <laughs> I'm so confused about this. Um, stop telling women how to dress, people. Just get over it. <laughs> all right. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. The last thing I want to say is if you're in Toronto, there is actually a C51 uh, 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 event coming up soon. It'll be on the Facebook or it, it's, uh, the Facebook post will be on the Today Show post, greenmajority.ca. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. We'll see everybody next week. 